My name is Mark Williams. I'm one of the pastors here at the, at the church, and uh, it's certainly a joy to be with you today in worship. Uh, the scripture that I'm going to read for you is an interesting scripture. It's little known. It's in the Old Testament, uh, specifically Second uh, Kings chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. Hear now the word of God. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me? When Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with him and his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elijah's house. Elijah sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot, and cure me of my leprosy. Are not the Abana and Farfar rivers of Damascus better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great spectacular thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you wash and be cleansed, so that should you do it? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him and his flesh was restored and he became like that of a young boy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have you ever wanted something to be spectacular? Some months ago, I was reading about the story of a 28 year old man named Ernest living in South London, who came up with a spectacular way to propose to his girlfriend, Leanne. He enclosed a $12,000 wedding ring inside a helium balloon. But as fate would have it, as he left the specialty jewelry store, a gust of wind swept the balloon out of his hand. And so he went traveling around London for three hours in his car trying to track down this balloon, but he never found it. In fact, he told his fiance about this, and she said, I'm not saying yes until you get me another ring. 
And the reporter for the London Sun newspaper asked him, so why'd you do it? Why'd you conceal a $12,000 engagement ring inside a helium balloon? And he said, I had this bright idea that as I popped the question, my fiance, I would give her a pin and she would literally pop the balloon. But why? The reporter asked him again, why would you want to do it? And he said, I wanted it to be spectacular. You ever wanted something to be spectacular? The most spectacular proposal, the most spectacular wedding, the most spectacular worship, the most spectacular additions to the house, the most spectacular encounter with God. You ever wanted something to be spectacular? We turn to our scripture today and meet a man named Naaman, and he wanted something spectacular to happen to him. You may remember, Naaman was a decorated uh, war general, like kind of a four-star general of sorts. He won a number of different battles, but there was something wrong with Naaman. One day, there was this white, paley splotch of his skin that began to get worse and worse and worse. And it turns out that Naaman, the war hero, had leprosy. And if something spectacular didn't happen soon, uh, then the leprosy would become terminal. And so with this story in the Old Testament, it's time for God to intervene, right? With something divinely spectacular, a burning bush moment, you know, a dermatological miracle, some light shining from the sky that will cure Naaman of his leprosy, a lightning bolt or an earthquake or, or some potion inside a helium balloon. For surely God will make bare his holy outstretched arms in front of the crowds on top of Mount Carmel as he did years prior uh, to make a statement that Jehovah alone is the Lord. Something, anything, spectacular, fire, earthquakes, a parade, anything spectacular. God sends a shy middle school girl to tell Naaman's wife that Naaman ought to go see the prophet in Samaria who will heal him. So Naaman says, all right, well, the spectacular must still await me, but in Samaria. So he packs up his bags and his chariots and his money, uh, and he goes to uh, Elijah's house in uh, Samaria. Uh, He arrives there thinking that surely uh, Elijah, this uh, spectacular prophet, will come out and greet him. But it turns out that Elijah has sent some of his messengers instead. Who are these guys, these, these, these plebes? These, these, this must just be you know, the, the front line, you know, just his entourage, so to speak. For surely Elijah will come out of his house with, with trumpets blaring. And as it says in, in, in 2 Kings, he will wave his hand over the leprosy and I will be cured. Abracadabra spectacular but elijah never shows up and naaman gets really really mad because one of the servants tells him look if you want to be healed with your of your leprosy then just go to the jordan river and wash yourself seven times and you will be clean well scripture says naaman was in a rage he was angry shouts at the servant well 
I could have just stayed in Damascus and done that in the Abana or the Far Far River. I came all the way here to dunk myself in the Jordan River. I don't want to do that. But thankfully, one of Naaman's servants talks some sense into him. Says, Naaman, you know, you have traveled this whole way. And if the prophet had asked you to do something difficult, spectacular, you would have done it, would you have not? He said, yeah. He said, then why aren't you willing to just bathe in the Jordan River? And it's at this moment that Naaman just comes to an important revelation about himself. Here I am in a foreign country willing to be involved in something divinely spectacular, but not willing to do something not so glamorous in the eyes of the world. But thankfully, Naaman comes to his senses. And sure enough, in an anticlimactic sort of way, minus the burning bush and the parades and the trumpets and everything else, a Naaman bathes in the Jordan River, dunks himself seven times. And as he gets out of the river, he discovers that his flesh is restored and he's healed. So what are you and I to make of this scripture? What is this scripture saying to us? What's going on here? I think the message that God has put on my heart for you all this morning is this. Sometimes God's version of spectacular looks different from the helium balloons, parades, and fireworks of this world. For when I look at this scripture, I meet three spectacular people. Not necessarily spectacular by the world standards, but spectacular in the eyes of God. And I think all three of these people really share two common characteristics. And I want to speak about each one of them uh, with you this morning. And so we'll start, since we're doing a series on uh, heroines in the Old Testament, with the unnamed heroine who kind of sets the story into motion. The shy middle schooler. What makes her so spectacular? I think for starters, she is a child. She's a child that Naaman uh, put in slavery after she, he, and during one of his Aramean conquests and had her work uh, for his wife at Naaman's home. And historians believe she was no more uh, than about 13 years old. Pastor and teacher John Ortberg has written, God relishes the role of the underdog. And it really is neat to think that God would use a child to set this story into motion. She's a child. And that makes her spectacular. But then also, she's not just a child. She's also willing to do something not so glamorous in the eyes of the world. She's simply willing to speak up to Naaman. To speak up for somebody who's going through a difficult time. But you know, I think it's interesting to note uh, what this child uh, does not have. She doesn't have a lot of money. She's not the head of any booming ministry program. She doesn't have a lot of education. She doesn't have much at all. I mean, she's not uh, Hannah Montana. She's not famous. You know, she just scrubs Naaman's floors. But what God has given her is a heart. You know, I think about that, and I think about my life in the ministry, and I think about uh, the stories I hear of people having an earthquake experience on an Emmaus walk, uh, rediscovering God 
uh, for the first time or, or someone who goes on an alpha retreat and thanks to the wind of the Holy Spirit uh, has this uh, new, new path for her life. But I'll tell you, nothing touches my heart more when I hear, than when I hear the story you know, of an underdog, of someone with just little more with a heart, someone who's willing to do something not so glamorous in the eyes of the world. Somebody who's willing to be compassionate to somebody in need. Somebody who's just willing to take someone to worship on Sunday morning who who can't drive. Someone who's willing to just take an hour to set up some chairs. Someone who's just willing to go to the nursing home. Somebody who's willing to be in the Hope Center. Somebody who's just willing to remain as patient as Jesus with his love for his children. Someone who's willing to cry out those mysteriously credible Words of comfort. He ought to go see the prophet in Samaria. The servant girl, she was a child. She was also willing to do something not so glamorous in the eyes of the world. The second spectacular person I meet in this story is Naaman. And I think also, much like the servant girl, he is a child. Let me explain. Sometimes after Naaman dunks himself seven times in the Jordan River, he emerges from that river. And what does Scripture say about him? But that his flesh is restored, and like a child, he became clean. For many scholars believe that Naaman's dunking in the Jordan River was not just a curing of his leprosy, but an actual salvation moment. Metaphorically, Speaking, the Jordan River being the cleansing power of God and the leprosy being Naaman's sin. So when Naaman dunks himself in the river, essentially Naaman becomes reborn as a child of God. For does Jesus himself not say in Matthew chapter 18, verse 3, unless you change and become like a child, only then shall you inherit my kingdom. Christian writer uh, Henry Nouwen often said that that scripture gets misinterpreted in one of two ways. For one, we think that becoming like a child means that we need to become powerless or more naive. But of course, this isn't true. I think what we learned about the servant girl today is she was very, very powerful. Now, and then says people will, will misinterpret that scripture by thinking that to become more like a child is to become only more pure. But anyone who's ever had a two-year-old uh, will tell you that even children have inherited uh, the sin of Adam and Eve. So becoming like a child then is about neither of those. It really, according to now, is about becoming dependent on your parents. Just as a child is dependent on the father, so too does God want us to be dependent on him. And I look at Naaman's life in this moment, and I, that's what I really learn about Naaman, because before this time, I mean, he was dependent on all those things that the world deems spectacular. His intellect, was there not a problem he could not solve? His honors, was there not a medal he did not wear? His money, was there not a slave he could not purchase? His career, was there not a battle he did not win? But having been diagnosed with this leprosy, I think Naaman gets it. That it would be God who would be worth relying upon. Naaman became a child. 
And then also, I think Naaman, too, was willing to do something not so glamorous in the eyes of the world. He was willing to dunk himself in the Jordan River. And if you've ever been to the Jordan River, uh, one of the things you'll learn about it is it's not like the river in Concan where it's clear and you can see to the bottom. Uh, This was a dirty, uh, filthy river, uh, which is ironic considering that Naaman's name literally means pleasing or attractive to look at, or some translations would say beautiful. And so what you see here is Naaman being willing to do something not so glamorous in the eyes of the world by bathing in this filthy river. I think about that, and I think about my life and all those moments where I do something for God that's attempted to be spectacular. And I wonder if God hasn't sometimes called me to bathe in some more of the dirtier places of our world, like, like my breakfast table or, you know, where I work or, uh, you know, another divinely spectacular place. I wonder if God hasn't called me to bathe, too, in some of those places. The servant girl, she became a child. She was willing to do something not so glamorous in the eyes of the world. Naaman also became a child and was willing to do something not so glamorous in the eyes of the world. But there's a third person in this scripture that I would be remiss if I didn't mention. And that third person is God. And I think what makes God so spectacular, again, are two of those very same characteristics. For one, he was willing to become a child. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Prince of Peace, the Mighty God, the Holy One came to us, not staying in the new Hyatt downtown or the Marriott or the Hampton Inn or the Roadway Inn or the Holiday Inn, but in a manger in Bethlehem wrapped in diapers. So small, as Philip Yancey once wrote, a mule could have stepped on him. He's willing to become a child for our sake. And then second, by becoming a child, I think God, too, was willing to do something not so glamorous in the eyes of the world. Just the other month, my wife and I went um, camping to Big Bend uh, National Park out in West Texas, uh, camping in a tent uh, for two nights. And my wife enjoys camping. My idea of camping is not having ESPN2. And we went out there, and one day we took an eight-hour hike of the South Rim up at uh, uh, at Big Bend. We hiked for about four hours up to the top of this canyon, and it was a beautiful day. There was not a cloud in the sky when we got to the top. I mean, we looked out, and we could see Mexico. And I would be lying to you if I didn't say that I didn't feel God's divine presence in a very spectacular way. For, you know, that's often how I picture God, you know, sitting in a lawn chair on top of a peak like that, you know, kind of enjoying the hallmark landscape and and pristine sunsets and golden wheat fields and ripples uh, on a lake. And often I picture God that way. But when I read a scripture like ours today, I'm reminded that the God that we have come to worship this morning 
is even more spectacular than that. Dirtier. More personal. As an old theologian once wrote, that which God has not assumed, he cannot redeem. What does that mean? It means that God knows what it's like to be a slave girl scrubbing Naaman's floor. It means that God knows what it's like to have the dirt of the Jordan River underneath his fingernails. It means that God knows what it's like to suffer. It means that God knows what it's like to be tempted. It means that God knows what it's like to worry. It means that God knows what it's like to be lonely, to walk to an empty mailbox. It means that God knows what it's like to be in financial distress. It means that God knows what it's like to have a disease. It means that God knows what it's like to have leprosy. Isaiah 53, 4, he is acquainted with our infirmities and shares our diseases. It means that God knows what it's like to be human. And I think about that. And I think about that decision to become a child. And how grateful I am that God was willing to do something not so glamorous in the eyes of the world. But that which he has not assumed, he cannot redeem. You know, I was trying to think of a word for God, for getting so dirty, for becoming so human. And really, to be honest with you, the only word I could come up with was spectacular. Let us pray. Great and gracious God, for your love we are grateful. For your willingness to become a child for our sake so that we might share in that child's resurrection, we are grateful. And for your willingness to become human on our behalf to take away all that dirt and sin and take it to the cross with you, we are grateful. We ask, Lord, that in the days ahead that you would put in us a servant's heart, that we might become more dependent on you as your children and also be willing, Lord, to bathe in some of the dirty places that you have called us to go, even if those places are not so glamorous in the eyes of this world. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ that that I pray, for he is our rock and our redeemer and our hope. Uh, both in this life and in the one to come. Amen.